At ITP, we come from different countries all over the world, speak different languages, and consider different ideas. We, we are, are architects, architects, dancers, mathematicians, mathematicians and artists, artists of every, of every kind. kind. And for some reason, we all ended up here. From the fourth floor at Tisch, we bring you individual stories about makers and thinkers of ITP as we all learn, create, and of course, occasionally fail. Join us this semester as we go beyond the 10 second class intro. My name is Sharif Hadidi. Sharif Hadidi. Where are you from again? Where am I from? Yeah. Like, in the world. Where were you born? I was born in Houston, and then my family moved to Detroit after a year. And then. Uh, oh, so when you were one year old, you moved to Detroit? Yeah. One year. My dad was there for his residency, and then when he finished his residency, he moved to Michigan. And that's where, like, a majority of your upbringing was? Yeah, I lived there until I was 23. So you were 23? And then went to? San Francisco. To work? Yeah. Uh, well, I went to law school. You went to law school? And then after a year of being in law school, I was like, I hate this. Mm -hmm. So I left law school and then trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a coding boot camp and became a front-end engineer after like six months of being out of law school. Was that a point of contention with your family when you dropped out of law school? Um, no, my family wasn't really happy that I was going to law school. Oh, really? Yeah, my dad wanted me to be a doctor, okay. um, as is the normal route for people in my community. What is your community? Arab Americans and in like the area I grew up in Michigan. Uh -huh. Like everyone, all my friends are either in med school or are already doctors. Is there a prominent Arab community where you grew up? Yes. Really? In Michigan? Yeah. Uh, Michigan is the largest population of Arabs outside of the Middle East. Michigan is the largest population of Arabs outside of the Middle East. Yes. I did not know that at all. Specifically Dearborn, Michigan. Dearborn, Michigan. There is, I think there's 1.2 million Arabs in, in like the Detroit area. What made them want to go from one of the hottest climates on earth to one of the coldest? So how it all came about was Henry Ford mm -hmm. initially brought in a lot of people from Yemen. Okay. Um, they worked there because he, he was like a hardline Christian. So he gave everyone, like he created a bunch of the cities in the Detroit area are actually former just like Ford like owned areas hmm. that he created like his own cities but he was such a hardline Christian he didn't like drinking didn't like gambling anything like that yeah. so Muslims also follow those same traits sure. so he brought in a bunch of Muslims from Yemen and then they were working there and then towards like the 70s 80s a lot of other Arabs were coming to the US and then they were looking for somewhere that there was a lot of other people like them, mm -hmm. so they moved to Michigan. It was like the majority of them, and there's a lot of like everywhere else, as you can see here. Mm -hmm. California has a ton, but specifically Michigan, it was mainly because it was kind of a already grown, like they had mosques and everything already established before to come out here. Yeah, sure. So they, when, they, when they made the transition, it wasn't yeah. so much of a shock because there was already a religious center for them. So my dad, he originally moved because... He's Lebanese? No. My dad is Palestinian who 
grew up and was raised in Syria. So when he left, when he came to the U.S., he was living with his sister who got married, and then she, her husband was already working here. Mm -hmm. So they moved out here. Um, and my dad lived with them for like four years, I think. Do you feel as if that culture uh, is one that has an influence on your life, or not really? So I would love to say no, mm -hmm. but like deep down, I know it, it does. Mm -hmm. Like it, a lot of a lot of things. Like I'm not necessarily religious, mm -hmm. but like a lot of the morals I I have, and a lot of, a lot of the like thought process I have, I think stems from like, my upbringing. But you wouldn't say in particular that that is something that's at the forefront of your mind, it's more something that's subconsciously yeah. been. Okay. It seemed like when you got to this coding boot camp then that things sort of started to click a little bit? The coding boot camp, I was always interested, like I worked at an IT company when I was in Michigan, um, like they taught me how to do like HTML and CSS. Um, so my friend recommended when I left law school, he was like, oh, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, do you know there's a boot camp thing? I, I walked in with zero expect, like zero prior knowledge mm -hmm. aside from like HTML and CSS, which is the first two months of it, we didn't even touch that. We just did Ruby and Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you're working with views, but you're not doing any of the stuff that I was doing. So it was, for me, it was like a, like a shock, but it was something that I actually enjoyed doing. And it was something I saw that you could actually make a difference with. Okay, yeah, go on about that. What, what, yeah, I want to hear what, what made that click for you. Like, what was it about it that... So, being in San Francisco, you see a lot of... There's a lot of tech... Like, just in tech in general, there's a lot of companies that I view make stupid products. Mm -hmm. Or product, not necessarily stupid products, but products that, like, they're not bettering society in any way. Mm -hmm. Like, I, want, I went into law school with the idea of, like, I'm going to help... Companies, companies that are you know trying to help people. Like I wanted to. My whole thing is like I want to help people. That's why I do anything. Mm -hmm. And then going to the coding thing, I was like, there's a lot of apps out there. Like there's a lot of stupid things. Yeah. But then there's a lot of stuff that is actually useful. Actually helps people and makes their lives a little bit better. You know, helps out the like the downtrodden. So like I I looked at it and I was like, this is something that interest me and then I made a bunch of apps when I was in that boot camp that were like some of them were you know just I made one was like a road trip planning app that mm -hmm. was like for me all the other ones I made were like to help other people so I made one for uh, shelter pets hmm. so it was like tinder but for animals and shelters sure so you would just like go through and you would swipe and if you swipe yes you wanted it then it would tell you where it was how to get it and give you all the information to contact them like the organizations? Because pets are a big part of your life, right? Dogs are... Um, yeah. I've, well, I've had... Throughout my life, I've probably had like 30 different pets. 30? Yeah. So, long term, I've had a cat and two dogs. Um, but then I've also had like hamsters, gerbils, sure, okay. uh, lizards, fish. We had a bird at one point. Um, we had a pet squirrel. Okay. I had a pet turtle, <laughs> and then when I was in Syria, I had like pet chickens. It's, you lived in Syria? Like when I'd go, I'd go every summer. Oh, so okay. I'd be there for three months, mm -hmm. and like my cousins, like they live on a farm, so we would go and we'd like buy chickens. Sure. Not, You're fluent in there? 
I was when I was younger, not anymore. Um, I don't, like my dad doesn't speak Arabic at home because um, my mom's American and she doesn't know English, or know Arabic, mm -hmm. she knows English. Um, so it was kind of like difficult for her because she tried to learn Arabic and it was just very difficult. Sure. She was trying to and so we all like, we as the children and family decided that we wouldn't like try to make her feel excluded. Mm -hmm. So we all just speak English. Like my dad, when we were growing up, would talk to us in Arabic and then we would respond in English. And then he just kind of stopped talking in Arabic altogether sure. and just switched to English because it was just easier for everybody. Is the, is the climate of Syria right now having a big impact on your family? Yes and no. Yes, because my a lot of my family recently, like they just moved from Syria okay. uh, last year, so they to were the states. yeah. Okay. So they were living there during the whole um, revolution, and while they were living there, it was like really rough on them. But they lived in you know the capital Damascus. It's not that dangerous, yeah. but at the same time, it's still not super safe. Sure. We owned a house that was completely, like the village that we owned a house in is completely destroyed at this point, doesn't exist. So there's like a lot of, we don't, but for a lot of us and our family, like we don't have necessarily like deep ties mm -hmm. to Syria. Um, for us it's more like the Palestinian issue. Sure. It is something that, because it constantly gets brought up and comes up all the time, it's something that's more like close to us, just because like throughout our whole lives, while we have never been to Palestine, we always like identified with it because um, we were taught at a very young age that while we do live in Syria, like while my family lived in Syria, we are Palestinians mm. and we're just displaced, mm. but we have zero ties there. We left before 1948, so like we left by choice. Um, my grandfather was in banking, so he needed to travel a lot for work and he had friends in the Jordanian government and they had told him what was going to happen give him Jordanian citizenship for him and his family because with Jordanian citizenship you can travel around more sure so he utilized that and then he we, my dad grew up mostly in Syria like he was born in Syria um, then they lived in Jordan Iraq and Egypt and then back to Syria. So I have aunts that were born in Jordan, and I have aunts that were born in Egypt, Egypt and I have aunts that were born, or uncles that were born in Iraq. So for us, like, it's, we're kind of all over the place in terms sure. of, like, what we identify with, but at the same time, it's just the whole general Arab view of, like, the world, like, the way the, the world views Arabs is, like, something that's important to us. So yeah. that's, probably more um, impactful on us than like specific things that are happening. Sure. Um, but then again, my, my, most of my community back in Michigan is from Syria. So for them, we're like kind of entrenched in it because people are much more affected by it than us. Of course, yeah. So in that aspect, like, but we have like very differing opinions on, on what's right and what's wrong in, in that whole context. I am Paula or Paula. Uh, I'm a second year. 
welcome. So if there's one thing that you recommend everybody see, what would that be? Well, a lot of people have been saying places, so I think traveling is a wonderful thing. Um, but I recently went to see Kubo and the Two Strings, which is a stop-motion movie that Laika, a production studio in Portland, just came out with. And it was absolutely beautiful. And it was very much like ITP. It, like they have like crazy prototypes, everything, like all their stuff was 3D printed, 3D modeled, all the sets are rigged, everything moves, it was insane. So if you want to get inspired as to like what you can go do as an ITP student after this is over, that's not just programming and coding and sitting in front of a computer. I, and story-wise too, I just think it was a beautiful beautifully made movie in every dimension, so I really recommend it. Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, it was awesome. It's like a short movie, it's animation, I don't know. I love animation, so that those are always like my movies of choice. Have you done animation here a lot? Uh, so I only did the animation Comlab. I had done stop motion before coming to ITP, so part of my background was in film and I worked in film and TV. Um, as well as advertising, as well as other things. And so I had done a little bit of that, both live action and stop motion, but um, I took the animation Com Lab mostly for After Effects. And it was it was a lot of fun. After Effects is a, it's a program that, you know, it takes a little bit of, to get the hang of. Um, but you can do awesome, really cool stuff with it. And I'm really happy with the outcome of the project at the end of the animation collapse you like there's like a viewing party and all the things get shown and everybody just kind of sees what everybody did it's it's a lot of fun mm -hmm. so what are the kinds of things that you have been drawn to here uh it is it's tricky because i'm not a coder but i'm also not a peacomber so between the two i definitely lean more heavily in the peacomb and just the physical aspect of things. But it's been mostly just kind of been a little bit of a hodgepodge, to be honest with you. Which, I mean, hopefully this helps somebody because you always see the people that are very, very focused. And somebody said when we started that ITP can be either a bachelor's, a master's, or a PhD, depending on how you treat it. But it's very much the case. We're like, some people come in and they're very focused and they know exactly what they want to do. And some people come in knowing that there's a very ample interest in everything that is happening, but you're kind of just finding your feet. And that's kind of what happened to me. So I think now I'm mostly in the just like experience design, pecan, I don't know, storytelling realm, mm -hmm. I guess. Sure. What's one thing you're really proud of that you've made here? Oh, everything. I really like it. But group-wise... Uh, I took the digital fabrication for Kate Cabinet Design class last semester. It's a very long name. You basically build an arcade game. And it was four of us, and we you program the game, you do the graphics, you build the cabinet, you wire the console. And we had a show, and it was awesome, and like it just it came out great. I love it. it. It was an awesome project. And then by myself, I did a project also last semester for a class called ReadyMades that was, I basically hacked a magic eight ball. And instead of getting the usual yes or no answers, you'll shake it, ask a question, and then um, it'll give you reaction GIFs instead, or GIFs, depending on how you want to call them, as 
a response. So I had that in the show as well. And it was very well received. It worked. And I'm very happy that I did it. So there you go. Two for one. All right. Nice. <laughs> Do you enjoy collaborating more or working alone or some combination of the two? I love collaboration. Mm -hmm. I really think the diversity in backgrounds, ages, professions, just in any way, shape, or form that ITP has, it really is a miss for you not to collaborate with people because everybody has so much to offer from everywhere. And the perspectives and the points of views and the way people think about things. So, and you'll find people that you enjoy working with and you'll find people that you work better with than others and maybe you'll end up gravitating to collaborate with a specific person and you'll find a partnership that works for you and I think that's great. But I think collaboration, whether it's a one-off situation or um, a more long-term thing, for me it's been proven to be very successful. Even the collaborations that you know sometimes are a little challenging, you still come out of it learning so much. Even if it's learning to take a step back and look at things from the other person's point of view, um, I just think that it's it's a richer experience. Working alone works, and sometimes with the timelines, sometimes it's better, uh, just because the more people you have, I will say like three people is my tops usually. I think anything more than that, it's challenging to get everybody to agree on an idea and be happy with it. But at the same time, like I'm currently working on a group of four and we all jive and it's great and we're all really excited about what we're doing. So, I don't know. I love collaboration. How about that? That's, yeah. the, that's the short answer. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, ITP, there's so many different kinds of people here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's going to be weird to go back into the world and, and not have that. Is that something you think about or like in your background before ITP? What was collaboration like in it? So I, I'm originally from Colombia. I was born and raised in Colombia, and I moved to Miami for around nine years, and then I moved to Chicago, and I moved here. It's been interesting for me because I've always been surrounded by diversity. The diversity here, you can't compete. Like The diversity in Miami is you have Hispanics from a lot of places, or the diversity in Chicago was the same way. But... I've always been kind of surrounded by diversity. It was interesting because I was in Portland for the summer doing an internship. And Portland is very white. It's fine. But it was, it was definitely interesting. I do think that at least the, the diversity issue that I see in our industry now, in the ITP industry, is more about women and less about backgrounds. I was the only woman in the in the technology department when I was there, both when I was in Portland and I also worked out of here in New York, and it was the same case. So that I found to be very interesting. And even the guys at Portland mentioned it, and they were all saying like, "This is great, like you you, like this is a big moment for us, I guess." But yeah, I think that's what it is. I still, I still think it's great. I this is just from my point of view yeah. of two months in Portland in the summer and being told that this was what it was. Well, clearly there's a gender diversity problem in, in tech, and I think yes. ITP makes a concerted effort to 
push against that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the interest is there, so it's nice to see it celebrated. I think it's a matter of, I don't know, getting out there and having the industry recognize it and start taking steps towards correcting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an, it's an interesting t- thing, too. I mean, I, I think the thing with the conversation in, in tech now is, like, you know, if there, if there isn't diversity, teams work easier together. You know, like... I think I heard a podcast... I love podcasts, and I, it was either Reply or, or Radio Lab that had specifically an episode on diversity in the tech world. And it, they made the same point, where it was like, oh, it's easy. In the short term, in the, in the immediacy of the situation, yes, it's easier for you to have the same, the same type of people with the same backgrounds because you don't have to jump so many hurdles to get somebody to understand where you're coming from and your point of view. In the long run, problem solving, diversity is where it's at. Mm-hmm. So anybody can come to me with that with that spiel and I'm going to tell them what I just told them now like yes there's benefits to both sides of the coin but long-term solutions aren't necessarily so so easily addressed because they would have been easily addressed beforehand so you have to make a concerned effort to actually go through the growing pains of addressing a problem to then come out bigger and better on the other side totally so that's, that's what I think. <laughs> My name is Matt Romine. Cool. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, you actually already started with a confessional, so let's just say it again for the record. Yeah, I guess uh, my confession was just that I actually haven't listened to any of these podcasts yet, so I don't even know what <laughs> they cover or what you're going to ask me or if you're just going to let me ramble on, which I already seem to be doing. Actually, um, the first question we are asking everyone, which you probably haven't heard yet then, is uh, what's something you think everyone should see? Like in any context? Any context. Um, There's an online website called On the Boards TV, and it's an experimental uh, international theater space in Seattle where I grew up. And they actually do high-quality recordings of different shows that come through town with multiple camera angles, everyone's mic'd up. So, But this, they actually go through with everyone that's coming in and really plan out and get to know the show and shoot it in a very, like, um, kind of like a film kind of way. But there's one in spe- one specifically, a dance company called uh, Kid Pivot and Crystal Pipe, I believe. Yeah. And they have a piece called Dark Matter which combines puppetry, contemporary dance, and technology. That's kind of cool. And it's fantastic. I like. I still watch it like once every six months. And you can rent it for like five bucks to watch it. Now, it's interesting because you grew up in Seattle, mm-hmm. right, in theater background. Tell, tell us a little more about that. Tell us a little more about Matt and the theater background. Um, so I think the first production I was ever in was like a first grade rendition of The Lion King. Wow. No, no, not The Lion King. The Jungle Book. Okay. And I was the narrator, so I don't... You got a really good narrator voice. I don't think my voice was quite this deep (laughs) in first grade, but maybe they saw the potential. They saw, like, where things were going. Okay. Uh, You know, middle school, we could do choir or you could do theater, and I hated singing, so I did theater. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then in high school, I actually, like, full-blown got into it. I was, like... In all the musicals, I started in a lot of the plays and stuff, and I did a lot of stage crew as well. And then for my undergrad, I went to a small liberal arts college in Oregon and studied 
uh, acting specifically. Around my sophomore year, I realized I didn't want to make money doing that. Really? Yeah. What was that? What was the inflection point? Like, what happened that you were just like, I didn't want to do this? And the program was great because we had a lot of visiting guest artists. Um, they would actually direct some of our shows or act in the shows with us or do design for the shows. And there were usually people that came from a professional background. And we had this alumni, maybe from 10 years ago, a great guy, uh, Michael Brusasco was his name, and he actually lived out in New York for a while, and he was a professional actor. And he just told us everything that goes into being a professional actor, and I oh, just wow. thought it was terrible. <laughs> I, you know, just like, the level of what people uh, consider success when you're trying to like make money specifically as an actor yeah. and the amount of work that you have to put into it and also just the lack of creativity I think in it. Um, you don't have much control over what you're cast in and what roles even you're cast in. You start to get typecast a little. Um, and even the people that have been acting for 10 years and making money and doing it, we're still like uh, doing free, like, you know, temp work in between shows because yeah. it wasn't consistent. And I just, you know, I, when I got involved in theater, I liked having a say in, like, what I was doing and, like, working with my friends. And um, that kind of led me down more of an experimental theater path. So I was also studying art technology and video art. And at, at your undergrad. At, as my undergrad. Okay. That was my minor. Cool. And I just kind of started combining those things. And uh, it's kind of what led me into the world I'm in today, where it's like, live performance but you know writing my own software writing my own code and even like i was also doing a lot of circuit bending and that got me into circuits interesting um wait as part of like the theater stuff like no as part of my um art technology okay background i actually got a grant like one summer to just teach myself that the whole summer that's and that was cool. great that's cool um when did itp come into the picture like when did you find out about it when did you like when I graduated school, um, I spent a hot second living in Portland. I started teaching myself Max MSP for some of the same reasons we were talking about. I was uh, wanting to build my okay. own systems for uh, performance, video, sound, and stuff. And funny story, uh, this had nothing to do with why I went to ITP. One of the people I was living with in Portland was my neighbor growing up. His name is Colin Narver. And he was an abstract painter. He was... Uh, working on a bunch of paintings for his, um, whatchamacallit, uh, applications for different grad programs. Okay. And he was looking at a bunch of art schools, and he ended up going to ITP. And he actually now works at IBM as, like, an app designer, which is as far from abstract painting as I That's can think of. That's so funny. Um, so, while we were living together, he essentially was working on his portfolio for ITP and didn't even know it. Wow. Um, anyhow, speeding things up. We all split off, uh, there was four of us, and it was kind of like an in-between kind of house. Like, no one really knew what they were doing with our lives, the yeah. four of us. Um, so I moved to New York City in 2011, which would have been a year after I finished my undergrad. And I was interning at a dance company in Chelsea for about a year. And I spent about three years um, before ITP um, working both as a technician for experimental dance, experimental theater, even doing some design for certain people's shows. And then I was also in a video art collective um, where we would do live video performance. That's cool. And with systems I had built in Max MSP and some other programs. 
And some of the people in the video art collective were actually ITP grads or currently in ITP. And um, even in the theater world I was in, there were a couple of like experimental theater dudes and uh, just people that had gone to ITP. So it just kept popping up on my radar. Um, and I hit a point where the work I was doing, I really enjoyed it, but I was starting to feel that tension of being in two worlds at once. Yeah. And feeling a little frustration that I couldn't bridge the gap as seamlessly as I wanted to, either through meeting other people that were bridging the same gaps I was, or just giving myself more agency to feel like I was doing the right thing and like inhabiting two worlds at once. Yeah. Which is, I think a lot of people at ITP seem to come from a I do this and I do this and that how do make I, any and then sense. how do I bring it together? Exactly. Yeah. So after, after three years of doing freelance work and wanting to make a little more money, maybe yeah. getting like some like networks and stuff that like would expand what I was doing to not just theater. Yeah. Uh, I decided to kind of take the plunge and come to ITP. Cool. So let's fast forward a little bit because obviously, I mentioned previously, but you are our first resident to speak. Um, do you do you ever think about? I'm a first year. Yeah. So words of advice maybe, or like what, what, what would you say to anyone who's listening that's maybe a future ITP or, or like, you know, first year, second years even? I, from a, from a resident perspective, it's like we've been through everything that you guys have been going to, uh, through as well. So, you know, we, we were first years that were just as confused, um, asking the wrong people the wrong questions and like panicking uh, over circuits not working or, I mean... I remember my third week of ICM, like, I still didn't totally know what a variable was in <laughs> terms of, like, I was processing back then. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch you guys kind of come in. I actually made a comment to Kat the other day that this week in particular, I'm, now that we can kind of, like, we've seen you guys enough and we're starting to recognize who you are, yeah. I'm also starting to notice what groups of people are starting to crystallize. You guys are making your own little, like, kind of pods of friends and stuff. And I don't think it means that, like, you're um, isolating from one another. It's just, it's funny when you have a sea of 115 people and you start to notice the same people are hanging around the same people more consistently. And I, I totally remember that, like, after the first month we were here was when you find yourself hanging out with this person or, like, sending them, like, G-chat messages about this part of your code not working and yeah. stuff. Yeah. There's a part of me that can opine and say, oh, that sucks, like, we're already crystallizing these groups. But I think that's by design because it's, like, first semester, you're in these classes. These people are probably in your classes and you're just going towards them. Because in a few weeks when new classes are coming out, like, it's going to start, it's going to jumpstart a whole new... I, I got new friends every single semester. semester yeah. And not at, not at the... Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I still kept my old friends. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was, once you have an... You know, the people I got to be the best friends with at ITP were the people I actually did projects with. You end up spending a lot of time with each other, and, like, you're communicating a lot, and you have to figure things out. And yeah. It just kind of... Anat you always end up having that connection. Even if I never have a class with that person again, uh, if I walk by them in the hallway or whatnot, like, it's so easy to strike up a conversation just because yeah. of how much I got to know them through the process of working on one three-week project with them. Do you ever think about what ITP will be like in, like, ten years? Like, what do, you, what do you think classes... What kind of classes do you think will be taught? What do you hope ITP will be in ten years? Or just some mm. sometime in the future? It's I Even just in the now third year that I'm here, I remember... I think it was Tom Igo was saying... I, 
you guys interviewed a lot of the faculty for one of your applications groups. Yeah. Not you specifically, but someone, one yeah. of the groups did. Kenzo and all of them, yeah. Yeah, and I, I thought that was fantastic, like, seeing, like, Tom and Dano and Nancy just, like... Reminisce. Yeah, reminisce, and Tom made a comment about, like, the things that were super easy, or just say, the things that were super difficult, um, even 10 years ago, that could have been, like, a full thesis, are kind of like a, a one-week thing or a library yeah. to any student now. And, you know, 10 years from now, like, I think that, you know, in terms, if, if VR and AR take off, we're going to have a language for it. Like, so many VR classes right now are especially about, like, well, you could try this, or you could try this, you know, in terms of, like, moving through it, or controllers and whatnot, or sensors. I think that's going to start to congeal a little bit into a specific language of, like, what's the, uh, what's the methods and what's the preferred practice for how we use VR and how yeah. we use AR. I also think that, like, the the wide open field of view that we have with AR and VR right now, where it's, like, in medicine and in video games and in, like, social stuff, it's going to narrow yeah. to, like, one or two or three fields where they're actually, like, economically viable. Yeah, no, um, definitely. So I, th I can think of things changing in that realm. Also, just... I feel like I've noticed NYU and ITP in general, they have much more of like a global viewpoint than I think I had realized when I first got here. Because we have like uh, NYU Shanghai and NYU Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, you know, like one of the students from my year is a resident over in Shanghai, and one of the residents from last year is a professor now at NYU Shanghai. And there are students I remember from a year above me or two years above me that are doing stuff over in Abu Dhabi as well. I think there are some other plans to expand to other places as well. So I think ITP will have more sister programs in other countries. And I think the fluidity between those programs is going to start to expand. Just from watching the patterns, I think that's a way that ITP will be a little different. Cool. Is it just going to have more of a global perspective? Nice. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of ITP's podcast. Stay tuned for next week where we're going to introduce more students and their stories. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to be a part of it, reach out to Alex Fast, Chris Hall, Patrick Presto, or Laura Carey. We'll see you next week. Bye.